the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. <laughs> Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Tonight, I've laid out my plans to cut taxes for retirees and working families, to lower costs on insulin and electric vehicles, and expand access to mental health. As always, I'll work with anyone to deliver on these kitchen table issues. I'll also work to invest the federal resources we have received with plans I released last year, like the Michigan New Economy, which would grow our middle class, support small businesses, and invest in our communities. And welcome back, everybody, as uh, we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics uh, on the Tom Sumner Program, our weekly roundtable. This is part two, and I welcome back joining me for today's uh, edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And, Thank of you, course, as always, joining us uh, in the third chair, and it's always uh, a pleasure, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back. Thank you. My monthly opportunity to rant and rave. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is when we more, uh, suspend my, my usual moratorium on rant radio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But that was uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer opening up the hour um, from her uh, State of the State message uh, this past Wednesday evening. She tried to focus on what she considers kitchen table issues. It was her fourth State of the State address and the last one before she runs for re-election. The roughly 25-minute speech contained no unexpected bombshells but outlined proposals to cut taxes, expand tax credits, and reduce costs. The Democratic governor won't be able to accomplish many of her goals without the help of the GOP-controlled legislature, a point she repeatedly noted during her address. Was the governor's speech more state-of-the-state or re-election campaign kickoff? Mm, I kind of lean toward uh, the kickoff element in large part. I, um, and, and how did you almost, do? I mean, those those addresses are almost always a shopping list of all the good things you've done in the last year. So they they all revolve around that kind of theme. But it is and an election year, obviously. Well, and, and and interestingly, there wasn't as much of that as there typically is. And I think a lot of the work that she did in her first term was about COVID, which is 
something she yeah. kind of tried to stay away from a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she didn't mention that yeah. too much. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, how do you think yeah. she did? I think it was a good, solid speech. As I say, I, again, I saw it almost as much as a campaign speech. Um, the issues she raised were, were probably good politically for her, although, as I, as I mentioned to you in an earlier email, there's a, an article in, I think, the Sunday Free Press from Brian Dickerson raising some questions about the, the, the wisdom of the tax cuts. Again, they're very popular. Everybody's yeah. in favor of tax cuts. But the wisdom in terms of Michigan's future financial stability uh, might raise some, some some doubts about the the idea behind cutting some of those taxes. So, yeah, and that has always been a a proposition taken up by Republicans to cut taxes. We're, and how is this not unlike what Republicans do? And we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, this this notion that um, making permanent tax cuts because we have one time money exactly is a little bit. Risky. Yeah. Was anybody yeah. else surprised and or disappointed that uh, the GOP did not do a response? I was a little surprised. I was kind of looking for it, and I, and I don't think I don't think I missed it, but I didn't see anything. I saw some some uh, you know one line responses from individuals. There were, there were quotes in articles yeah. that uh, right. Uh, you know, reporters had asked Mike Shirky yeah. and others, you know, to respond. But um, I, I was surprised, and, and Tim Skubik even mentioned at the end of his coverage of the event um, on public television that the Republicans were invited to do a response and declined. Yeah, but it, it could be that uh, Republicans didn't decline because in many of the speeches and... Uh, writings that the governor's done, she's always appealed to the other side. She wants to work with Republicans and everything. She wants to yeah, call I, them and have confer and stuff like that. And, and when that happens, Republicans have to have a, a, a coherent response, something that's believable. And if she's trying to make this work, then we need to demonstrate that we have uh, tiptoed up to, to meet the challenge. Yeah, I was going to say, Henry, I, I didn't keep track, but I, I, I'd be worthwhile going back through the speech and seeing how many times she used the word bipartisan or yes. working together or similar phrases. I mean, that that seemed to pervade the whole speech. Uh, Dana Nessel does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to have some good responses out there for people like yeah. me to believe. I believe in something, and I want to believe in something. But well, again, the reality is we've we, got to be deliberate and it's got to be accurate. Yeah. You know, in Michigan, we, we tend to reelect our governors. We haven't, we haven't failed to give a governor a second term since the early 1960s, so history's kind of on her side in a lot of ways. And I, I kind of wonder here, too, in terms of, of the governor's election, you've got what, almost a dozen, I believe it's now a dozen people running for governor on a Republican ticket. I mean, it, uh, is that split up of the Republican Party going to help her in many ways? I mean, I'm not sure who's going to emerge out of that crowd as a winner in the end. I, I, I wonder the, uh, the complicated dynamics in the state of um, the threats against her and the threats against uh, yeah. Nestle. Uh, I mean, I wonder about what kind of Republican voice there should be in response to Whitmer in this climate specifically that you know, if they say anything 
I, I just wonder if there's any conversation about what they say about her uh, <laughs> well, in light of, you know, some pretty severe threats to her safety mm, and so on. Like, good point. I don't know yeah, how much of I don't know how much um, of the speech. Stir up anything that that hurt the Republicans, so, Yeah, know, I don't know how much there. of the speech um, was written by the governor or uh, how much of it was written by members of her staff, but I thought the speech was designed to thwart a Republican response. Ah. What did, Explain. Yeah, yeah. Again, that bipartisan line. We just said it. The whole speech was uh, about tax cuts and, um, <laughs> you know, reducing uh, tax liability. What? Uh, let's see. What, okay. what were some of the uh, uh, <coughs> cut taxes, expand tax credits, and reduce costs? I agree. That's, that's, that's what the Republicans would have been. That's, yes. Exactly. saying to do that instead of other initiatives and so it it that's one of the reasons why i said i thought it was a campaign kickoff because she silenced the republicans with the speech she beat them to it in yeah other words. she she took their issues made them her own and in the process not only quieted a republican response but charged directly to the middle what uh -huh. did anybody Go ahead. I was going to say, what, what did anybody think about the location of the speech? I mean, you, in the in that auto plant, with both labor and management supporting the all the new investments with the electro, electric cars and so forth. Do you see? Do you see that as a unifying factor? It's a sneaky thing to do, but <laughs> it was expected. Yeah. Huh. I, yeah, I was I was a little bothered by that by the. Um, uh, Oh, the the obvious um, play there to the union and right. uh, and and to the recent GM announcement. Uh -huh. um, I I, I would have just as soon seen her do her uh, uh, her broadcast or or stream or podcast, whatever you want to call it, um, from the Capitol, just with no people in there. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, just um, you know, the, the, the timing of that announcement the day before was clearly aimed at setting up the speech in many ways. I think. <clears throat> yeah, but, and and but, I thought it was interesting that they had um, the lieutenant governor introduce her from the uh, courthouse in Marquette up in the UP. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that. Yeah, but guys, we're we're speculating about. The effectiveness of all of this, it hasn't been uh, proven yet. And this may be a very effective way to have done this. It was her choice. Oh, no, no, I, th I, I think that's no, I think exactly what right, we're saying. Move, I, think. I, yeah. I think that's exactly what we're saying, Henry, and I think we're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here complaining about it, but, you know, I, what can I say? I've never tried that, and... And we got for a, a new plant moving in that will hire four thousand people or more, and yeah. that's got to feel good to Michigan citizens uh, because there's promise there, there's hope, and this is what she's maybe trying to. Now, as to as a critic of uh, of speeches, um, I have to say I think Sheldon Neely's State of the City 
message was done better uh, from hmm. from a technical standpoint yeah. and from a yeah. content standpoint. I thought it was a much better speech, um, although I think the governor's uh, speech was really effective. Oh, yeah. I really brought he brought more people uh, to the platform to that's support true. his goals. So obviously that's going to permeate out a much bigger area, bigger group, effectively. You know, aside from the location, I was expecting a lot more production value in the fact that she was doing this virtually. I, I thought there were going to be interviews with a number of other people. In fact, that she had a, there was something posted earlier where they interviewed a police chief and I think somebody who'd gotten some new jobs with the uh, the with General Motors and some others, and I thought they were going to be part of the speech itself, and they never did appear there. But they appeared earlier on online uh, with these, these various interviews uh, around the state. Well, let me see if we can, if we can squeeze this one uh, in. We've got about two and a half minutes. Michigan Supreme Court justices heard arguments Wednesday in the lawsuit against the state's redistricting commission alleging that the new voting districts it adopted for the next decade would illegally disenfranchise black voters. Current and former Detroit lawmakers, local politicians, and Democratic activists suing the commission argue that the new congressional and state legislative maps violate the Voting Rights Act the federal law that prohibits racially discriminatory redistricting plans. They contend that candidates preferred by black voters would struggle to win districts that are not majority black. And my question is, do you think black, black candidates can primarily only win in majority black districts? Is that still true? No, that's not still true. No. Um, <clears throat> you have to be you have to be liked by the people in your community. You have to pursue some of the goals and objectives that they want for themselves, even though they don't look like you and maybe don't have the same challenges, but if they trust you, they will vote for you. Well, now, not all people are like that, but you can bank on the majority. You've got a substantial majority out there that will vote for you despite of what your race is or religion. I think Henry, you got a good example with with John James. <laughs> yes. Though he lost, obviously, uh, he still did very, very well uh, statewide in his various races. And did you see he's uh, running for Congress now? I see that. Yeah, I, I in, see that in one of the new districts, uh, new yeah. congressional districts. But this time, John James has to do a greater job in. Is this is this his third public, campaign or fourth? Know, he can do the both. But the last time he ran, he did not. And people complained to me that he he wasn't reaching out to black people. Well, and he had probably been uh, a forewarned that most of your support, because of the, the dominance for Democrats, will be among white uh, voters. Is this his third outlaw. campaign or his fourth? Third. Well, maybe third is a charm. <laughs> anyway, we got we got to take a short break, and we'll be back with uh, more armchair politics on today's edition 
of the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. We'll let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words. If you're streaming us, we have some messages. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. The General Counsel for Michigan's Redistricting Commission resigned Wednesday in a brief letter to the commissioners that was posted to the group's website. Julianne Pastula's resignation comes after a tense exchange with the commission's chair, Rebecca Zatella, uh, led commissioners at its last meeting to adopt a motion to empower the group's executive director to resolve the dispute between the two. Commissioners did not explicitly discuss what the source of the dispute between Pastula and Zatella was at its last meeting, but the motion was adopted after Pastula chided Zatella for contacting the legal team representing a group of Detroit lawmakers suing the commission requesting court filings be delivered to her via email instead of at her home. Pastula said it was not appropriate to contact opposing counsel. With uh, mo- <laughs> Could you turn your radio down, please? <laughs> I, you know, I never get to say that anymore. Um, with multiple- I don't have my radio on. Oh, you don't need it. With uh, multiple lawsuits being filed against the redistricting commission along racial and partisan lines, is this a good time to lose your general counsel? Uh, general, definitely not. With all the court cases in the pipeline, yeah. and again, particularly the time deadline is getting so tight uh, to resolve these things. I mean, filing deadlines are coming up quickly. Candidates are trying to figure out exactly what district they're in and all that. Uh, uh, as I say, I think the time is almost as big a factor as anything else. But, yeah. Oh, is that me? Can you guys hear me? Oh, yeah. dear. <laughs> Sorry. Hold on a second here. Hmm. Ah, God. What's, uh, what's, what's feeding back there, Jan? Uh, a second. Snake. <laughs> <laughs> Reminded me of some of my old band rehearsals. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, is it gone now? It's, it's still doing it. Um, I got a little maybe. bit of it. Yeah. yeah, I heard a little squeak. We can go on. Back. I don't hear it anymore. Yeah, at least at the moment I don't. Yeah. Well, as promised earlier in the show... Um, I, uh, this next item um, I, I, I raised to pick up on where we started this morning. A U.S. House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 riot issued subpoenas for two Michigan Republicans who signed illegitimate certificates claiming former President Donald Trump won the election. The committee issued subpoenas to 14 Republicans from states won by President Joe Biden, who attempted to cast electoral college votes for Trump. These false elector certificates were sent to Congress as part of an alleged plan supported by the Trump campaign to justify delaying or blocking the certification of Biden's victory on January 6th. Subpoenas were issued Friday for Republican National Committee woman Kathy Burden and uh, 
Maria or Maria um, Rodriguez, who served as the chair and secretary of Michigan's Republican electors. They were among 16 Trump electors, including Michigan Republican Party co-chair Michon Maddock, who signed certificates falsely claiming to be Michigan's duly elected and qualified electors on December 14, 2020. Our investigations of the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol and into the credibility of the 2020 election inextricably linked. Hmm. Oh, I would think so. I mean, what what strikes me about this is, as I say, when that when that January sixth thing first happened, as I was watching it, it looked like kind of a an angry mob. But now, this more and more is as a very clearly laid out plot. It seems to overturn the election with these these fake electoral votes, and even even more worrisome are some of the the, the stories coming out about how they were. <laughs> suggestions about having the military take over voting machines and things of that nature, it it really seems like a, a very, very uh, unsettling part of our democracy if, as we learn more and more about this. Oh, getting some kind of back whistle from somebody. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> what's, what's, yeah, what's doing that, The people that, who did that. Are you getting... Uh, feedback from something? Are you using a, a headset or something? I was trying to go to another handset uh, because I was afraid my batteries were running down. And so wow. uh, you can still hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I can hear you just fine. Okay, I think I just had to get farther away from the other handset. Sorry. I think I'm okay now. Well, once you have the handset that you're using on, I think you can turn off the other one. Right, that's what I just did, and I tried to move to the other room, so sorry about that, you guys. Okay, well, you know, as long as we're getting it straightened around. Um, Lawmakers in New Mexico are expected to take up a proposal that would make it a crime to intimidate election workers, becoming at least the fourth state to consider new laws this year to confront the onslaught of threats against them. The bill from State Senator Katie Duhigg, a Democrat and a former Albuquerque City clerk, would make it a felony to induce fear in anyone working for state or local election agencies. Lawmakers in at least three other states, Washington, Maine, and Vermont, are considering measures that would criminalize threats against election workers or make it easier to prosecute offenders. Election workers have faced a barrage of threats and harassment since the 2020 presidential election as former President Donald Trump and his allies have spread uh, widespread election uh, claims um, in saying that fraud contributed to his defeat. Isn't intimidating election workers, or anyone for that matter, already illegal? They should be, but I uh, does Matthew Smith fit into this uh, comparison? Oh, yeah. oh, the sport, the school board guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that depends pretty, on how you define uh, define intimidation. If a guy comes up, hey, you, he comes into your office and says, "Hey, you're not doing things right here." There's evidence that you were. Uh, favoring one group over another. Is that intimidation? No, you make a good point, Henry. If I, if I walk in and say, oh, Donald Trump's a jerk or 
Yeah. You know, or Joe Biden's an idiot. I mean, is that is that intimidation? I I don't think that is. But I mean, no, clearly wanna... there have been some real cases where people have done things well beyond that. Yeah, they, it's got to be solid evidence, and we've got to have it defined ahead of time what it is. Uh, you can't go in and slap the clerk the clerk around. Obviously, I wouldn't even support that. You know, that to me is uh, uh, raw intimidation and threats and coercion. How about leaving just to go emails? In and say, how about leaving emails threatening your children? Yeah, those are kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think I think but, that's uh, that's maybe where you um, where you draw the line. I, I you know I think you could walk up to a, a clerk or another election worker and say I think you got that wrong or I think you're a liar yeah. or I think there's fraud yeah. here. But if you you know if you come up to them and say you know I'm I'm going to force your car off a canyon road um, or some other threat. Yeah. Then you've crossed a line, but my question is, do we need new laws for that, or hasn't that crossed a line already? Uh, that's an important question, um, and I and it seems like there still hasn't been enough consequences for some of these things that are disturbing. Um, so, being clear on what the law says and doesn't say seems like it's pretty crucial right now. Well, then, then maybe this is a, a good thing because it will. It will define what intimidation yeah. and threats are in new legislation. And, and we collectively can join other people who feel that, uh, based upon the definition, yes, this is a clear sign of intimidation. And then move on and let's get on about our business. Right. Not sit and debate I, it forever. It's, I mean, can we learn not to be completely negatively provocative, like that guy who said, you know, the Republican guy that said, let's make sure that we're armed when we go to vote. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that, because I'll throw you in jail myself. <laughs> <laughs> and what, was, what was the comment that uh, Rudy Giuliani said on uh, January 6th about... You know, we we've got to go to the Capitol and fight, or, or there was there was some. Um, well, at that. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was. Well, of course, Trump, Trump and us said something like, "You got to fight like hell to, I think, keep the nation or save the nation or whatever." Yeah. Uh, just before they they began the march over to the Capitol. But I think Giuliani doubled down on that. That's right. That's right. By no. combat. No, it's trial by true. Two. Yeah, that's, that was the phrase. That was claimed the, that this. Go ahead. Yeah, Jan, that was the phrase, uh, trial by combat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and now that, that I hear that out loud, I'm not sure that it was Giuliani. It was. Was it? It was Giuliani. I just looked it up real fast. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. All right, go, go ahead, Henry, well, and then we'll move on. Yeah, well, later. but, you know, if, if Republicans say that this is not a nation and we've got to save it, um, for America, then Democrats have to say the same thing. It's part of their nation as well. And uh, I think they must agree on definition what it means when you're going to go out and save the nation. From whom? <laughs> From whom? Not, not the people who live here and that were born here. 
It's part of their nation. And that's where the logic gets uh, just is disturbing for me. And it keeps us all raw with rage. Yeah. Don't you think so? Yeah. Or does it um, belong to one side or the other? Well, you know, I think that phrase, take back the country, is taken on kind of, I mean, it's been used a lot over the years, but in the last decade or so, it's taken on a whole new phrase where everybody assumes that if the other side wins, you've lost the country. And you saw that with Obama when he was in the White House. And, uh, and now Trump is just saying the same thing, that, you know, take back the country kind of stuff. It, uh, it takes on a whole new meaning in light of the, but the current But it deteriorates the other side and makes yeah. them uh, <laughs> uh, less compliant with what they're trying to do. Yeah. Complicit, I should say. Well, so I just uh, I want people to be specific when they make those kinds of uh, yeah. slogans up. You know, who are we taking it from, and who are we right. taking it for? <laughs> it and, infuriates people. And when you of leave color, us, it infuriates people of, of gender, religion. You, you just it stirs everybody up, and it should not be. It needs to be erased from the dictionary. That's why we that shouldn't race. leave those things. Uh, open-ended when we come up with those those slogans uh republican lawmakers in arizona are pushing a raft of major major changes to the state's voting laws including a controversial bill that would empower legislators to reject election results the mm. proposal sponsored by more than a dozen republican lawmakers also seeks to overhaul several established election procedures in the battleground state it would mandate, for instance, that election workers hand count ballots instead of using electronic equipment to tabulate results. The bill would create a system where losers can set aside the will of the people, said Alex Gulata, who runs the Arizona chapter of the voting rights group All Voting is Local. This is an all-out assault on the freedom to vote. The bill's lead sponsor, GOP Representative John Fillmore, told CNN in a tele telephone interview that he's trying to ensure the integrity of the voting process. Should legislators be given the authority to throw out election results? And what do you think of hand-counting ballots? I, I kind of like that idea. Well, guys, can I, can I just say this? Huh? Yeah, I'm please. so eager to say that uh, technology is here to stay. Technology rules. What is People who don't agree with it. Technology. Technology is here to stay. Yeah. It rules. Yeah. It's put us to the far extremes of the universe. It's um, created all kind of medical uh, opportunities for us to solve problems that without it, we, it could not be done. It's here to stay. And, and we need to continually improve technology so it's it behaves the same way in elections. It's not technology, it's the people. You can't, you can't create or encourage people to be honest. You know, that's something that technology cannot do. But it's not the technology, it's the people. You have to make sure that we figure out a way of how to balance uh, the right people at the table to perform the job that we want technology to do. 
And the the other point from what Henry's saying is that I'm not so sure that the hand counting is going to be more accurate. I'm I'm thinking if I were to sit down and try and count through (laughs) 10,000 ballots by hand compared to what I wish. You're right. Better than anybody else's. uh, Yes, and we allow technology to take care of our bank accounts and stuff like that. We don't challenge it. And what is more dear to us than our bank accounts? I don't know. I think I think Central Michigan University is feeling the sting of when technology oh, goes sure. wrong. We'll be talking about that a little later in the X-Files. Um, I think I've got time to, to get in a little something about the Supreme Court here. A narrow Democratic majority in Congress has derailed key legislative priorities for the White House, but so far President Joe Biden is not facing pushback from members of his own party to a swift Supreme Court confirmation process. In a positive sign for the White House, West Virginia uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, an influential moderate and key swing vote, is not expressing any concerns about the quick time frame envisioned by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, to confirm Biden's nominee, according to a person with knowledge of the matter. Schumer wants to move the nomination along the same timeline as Senate Republicans used to process former President Donald Trump's nomination to the high court of Amy Coney Barrett, who was confirmed in 2020 by the Senate in about a month's time. It is not yet clear who Biden will nominate, but the president committed to nominating the nation's first black female Supreme Court justice as he honored retiring Justice Stephen Breyer at the White House on Thursday. Potential nominees include D.C. Circuit Judge uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson and South Carolina U.S. District Court Judge J. Michelle Childs. The White House does not see a need to sign on to the 30-day confirmation timeline proposed by Schumer, with one source saying the administration would be fine if the process takes longer than that of Justice Barrett and instead mirrors the duration of a typical confirmation. But the longer it takes between the time a nomination is made and a confirmation vote takes place, the more time a nominee will be exposed to attacks from critics. And given the Democrats' control, a 50-50 Senate, any absence or illness among one of their members could jeopardize the nominee's confirmation prospects. And I think we see that playing out right now. Um, We do. Yikes. Can Republicans derail confirmation for a Biden appointee, or would that backfire after the way the Coney confirmation was handled? Yeah, I think that this is one that we need to think through as Republicans, because I think the woman that uh, Biden has uh, chosen as a replacement for Breyer is is a well-qualified woman. But it's uh, unfortunate that he has to name race. But uh, and some people have picked on that. They said, how can you discount all of the other people, which is a good argument, guy. But yeah, I don't yeah, know I'll how see. you get past that. But in this case, I think she will be approved. No, I think so, too. But I've, as I say, I think the worry is that there'll be another game played, as there was with yeah, the three, yeah. the three Trump nominations yeah. for the Supreme Court. It's been unusual for a one-term president to have three nominations, but they happened in large, large part because Mitch McConnell could could rig the system by delaying and then rushing, delaying one and rushing another appointment to the Supreme Court. You, you know, it um, 
Paul always sends over a, a list of items that he thinks we might want to touch on, and, and, and he always closes it with, and whatever happens in the next 24 hours, and when I put together that piece talking about how razor thin the uh, Democratic majority is in the Senate, and, and, it, and it makes reference to what if somebody gets sick and then overnight we get news that a senator had a stroke, a Democratic senator had a stroke and that um, we'll be out of commission for, you know, at least weeks, if not months. They're saying full recovery. He was only 46 years old, but Jesus. But, but but, But there's a time lag. Right. Yeah. Well... So is there going to be any Republicans who will join in on this? That was the first thing I thought of, Jan. (laughs) Yes. Uh, There are a couple of Republicans that are... Yeah, at least least uh, several have said things fairly positive about one of the nominees that suggested they might be willing to support it. And this move might be something that's very enhancing for Republicans. Uh, Here's a very qualified woman that they can agree... uh, that uh, has gone to the best colleges in the country and competed with the best whites in the country who ruled the country and stuff like that, and that puts her into that category uh, and uh, is likely to be more favorable in the future for Republicans uh, who can respect this, particularly people who, blacks who are leaning Republican. That's going to enable them to bring other people in to support some Republican agenda. Not all of them, because uh, blacks don't have a dog in every fight. You know, some things are bigger, issues are bigger than they are, because they are not collectively, uh, they, don't, they don't work well collectively to move issues like other cultural groups are. But they're going. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next uh, few months, with with an election starting to heat up a little bit. And was I, I can't remember if it was two or three weeks ago we had uh, a young man uh, sit in with us from the um, communications office at the state legislature, right. uh, Democrat Jasper oh, yeah. Martis. Yeah. Remember. Well, on Monday, he announced he's running for the State House of Representatives in Genesee County. He's from Flushing, and there's a newly created 69th district. So I was hoping that Jasper would join us from time to time, but now that he's a candidate, he's kind of knocked himself off the, off the bench. But, um, but I thought that well, was Well, I'll make a comment, uh, speaking as a longtime Flint resident. You guys probably know who he is. His mother is... Uh, Carrie Ann Martis, the manager of the Flint Farmers Market. Um, oh yeah, and that kid is—I I think I was characterizing him as a political prodigy. I mean, that kid has really been preparing himself for this kind of a path for years. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, he seems yeah. to be unaffected of by fear and cynicism about the political situation. Now he seems to be—he's—here I said idealistic person uh so well he's bright i like him and, and, like his and he seems centered if not politically yeah. as a human being and uh 
Dane Walling introduced us to him a couple of years ago, brought him into the studio, and then um, he reached out to me and wanted to sit in on Armchair Politics, and we let him, and he was terrific. Yeah, anyway, he was. We're going to take a yeah. short break, but we'll be back with some fun stuff right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flipflip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? 
She's smart. She takes Speed, the tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have them. Yes, one. Speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we get roll into our final segment of armchair politics today with one of my favorite uh, elements the x-files those weird and wacky stories that uh, are strange but true like this one (coughs) two female inmates at a german prison have been served a hefty fine for a brawl that uh, began with a food fight German news agency DPA reported Wednesday that the uh, cellmates at a prison in Augsburg began throwing mashed potatoes at each other following a disagreement. Then one woman threw her entire plate at the other who responded in kind. The situation then escalated into a brawl in which both inmates were injured, according to DPA. A court in the southern town of Augsburg sentenced one defendant to pay a fine of uh, about $3,000, while the other received a fine of uh, a little over $2,000. If they fail to pay, the women can spend another 180 or 120 days behind bars, respectively. As food fights go, are mashed potatoes as funny as a pie in the face? Oh, I don't know. That could come pretty Depends close. Depends on whether they're hot or not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a little uh, a little parenthetical, but uh, did anybody happen to see the uh, the clip of uh, that Golden Corral? I forget where it was. Oh, yes. There were two people uh, standing in line, um, apparently for um, the last steak. <laughs> they were... Uh, <laughs> They were running out of steak. And and then someone cut in front of them. And it started a brawl that looked like a saloon fight. They were tossing tables and chairs. The whole place became embroiled in this in this battle. And I I thought uh, now wait a minute. Um I've been places where they ran out of a food item before, and I don't remember it escalating into a, a saloon brawl. Yeah, I know. I saw that video. It looked, it looked like the shootout the OK Corral. Uh, it was a bizarre scene. Well, here's, here's a different kind of brouhaha. Governor Jim Justice has a message for singer and actress Bette Midler, who called West Virginians poor, illiterate, and strung out. 
In a tweet after Senator Joe Manchin refused to support President Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill, the 70-year-old Republican governor ended his televised State of the State message Thursday night by lifting up his English bulldog and flashing its rear end to the cameras and crowd. Baby Dog tells Bette Midler and all those out there, kiss her hiney. (laughs) <laughs> Justice said, <laughs> grinning as people applauded and some gave him a standing ovation. Justice had spent more than an hour touting the state's accomplishments, including two recently announced economic development projects. Midler shot back in a tweet with a ranking of states from an unnamed source showing West Virginia near the bottom in healthcare, education, and the economy. Uh, said Midler, the dog's hiney would make a better governor though she used a stronger word than that. Um, is, 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 is this what passes for humor and political barbs now? I'm afraid yeah. so, yeah. Oh. Mm. So much for dignity on both sides, huh? That's true, that's true. <laughs> Tom, do you remember when I guessed uh, that once we had Trump as a president, that the American people were not uh, except a weakling. Oh, yeah. And uh, people uh, now are just really out there, and he changed the whole dynamic of everything. And uh, although Biden tries his best, and he does a good job of being balanced, but he, uh, for many American people, it just doesn't appear to be strong enough. I'm sorry I got you off the track. Go back to the dog. I was thinking about the dog. <laughs> We're going to the dogs, huh? <laughs> well, he let the dogs off their leash. <laughs> well, dozens of prospective Central Michigan University students who were mistakenly told they had won full-ride scholarships that include room and board have received an apology from the school and offers of the equivalent of full-tuition <clears throat> scholarships to make it right. School officials said 58 youths received messages last weekend while accessing the university portal telling them they had won a Centralis <laughs> Scholars Award, which includes full tuition, room and board, money toward books and supplies, and a $5,000 Study Away Award. But the university said Wednesday that those contacted hadn't won the prestigious award and the message had gone out inadvertently as school staffers were testing new messaging technology. Is this inadvertent mishap an argument for or against the use of AI? (laughs) You know, I thought that comment was to uh, black students who were involved in it, and maybe it was, maybe yeah. I misread the, I thought it had to do with black students, and, but I, I stand corrected, I stand corrected, but explain to who these students are, Tom, because I don't know who they are. It, are just, they, says, it just says dozens of prospective oh. CMU <laughs> students, 58 of them in all. And what happens, they have this special grant award, and they were setting up the computer program, and somebody slipped, and it it just sent out emails to 58 kids saying they just got a full-ride sponsorship. Now they're picking up the tab, I think, for all 58 students. And the poop hit the fan. 
and and they and they fired the admissions director over it. Oh, yeah. Very pricey for the college. Yeah. Well, well guys, better not next time. Does the movie I Robot? Right? Yeah. I'm like, I think we need to be a little scared about um, AI. If if uh, I if I Robot is any prediction of the future. Yeah. My yeah. God, what a what a nightmare that is for Central. I so do those folks have any option of doing or anything? Or? Evoke the race theory, probably. And that's not good. Well, Because everybody's waiting for an opportunity. There's yeah. A, there's a commercial yeah. running. And they television. will see, they'll become negative. But the outcome is not what they expect. I don't know when Americans are going to get accustomed to that, but... It's okay. One thing that the Republicans did do that was well. They said you don't have to apologize. And I have to agree with that. <laughs> there's there's but, a um, commercial. That but I, you do need to be civil. There's a commercial. The way that people apologize is really important. I mean, I think that it's a sign of, if you want to talk about Biden, let's say, <clears throat> how does a man, to be a man means to say, be able to say strongly, uh, I made a mistake, or we made a mistake, and this is what we're going to do about it. Uh, but it, how a person apologizes is crucial in leadership, I think. And I've been—I've sort of cringed at the way that he's, you know. Yeah. Um, <coughs> when you I, say, I, if, "If I meant to offend," I didn't mean to offend anybody, but if it did, that kind of thing. There was I, a. Uh, w- there was a. Um, there's a commercial on television that I've been getting a big kick out of. Speaking of technology and robots, and and it shows a um, a full uh, robot sitting at a uh, table with a laptop in a cyber cafe, and the robot says, "Oh, come on!" And it shows the screen, and it's one of those captchas that's checking to see if you're a robot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I laugh every time I see that commercial. It just tickles me. But that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, the Tom Sumner Program and Armchair Politics. I want to say uh, thanks, of course, to Jan Worth Nelson for sitting in with us today from uh, East Village Magazine. Jan, it's always a pleasure when you join us. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. And, of course, Thank our, our roundtable regulars, uh, Henry Hatter on the right. Henry, it's uh, it's such a treat, and I'm so honored that you and Paul join me every week for this uh, roundtable. I hope you mean this, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> we do, Henry. Yeah. Of course I do. And, and, and Paul Rosicki on the left, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, um, Thanks, Paul. And Always good to be here. So much Thank credibility. You, you guys had so much credibility to this show <clears> on <throat> Wednesdays. I really appreciate all of you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program starting at 9 o'clock. Also, I want to say uh, thanks to... Chris Douglas from University of Michigan, uh, economist, for joining me during the first hour of the show today. Anyway, have a great day. Stay warm, stay dry, and good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.